Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. They are the very words of Jesus. Let's share in them together. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. These words of Jesus, our master, savior, and friend, are difficult to hear. We long to hear easy words of affirmation. Way to go. That was great. You're so good. Wow. But love, that is no easy word. Life-giving, yes. Powerful, you betcha. Something we desperately long for, absolutely. But easy, no. To show us what love really is would cost God his very life on a cross. Today we start a new sermon series called Words We Long to Hear. When I was a boy, I was captivated by my Papa Howard. Papa was tall and stylish and good-looking. He was a salesman in New York City, an athlete at Syracuse University, and a drummer in a band. To say he was cool, well, that'd be an understatement. He did all the cool things adults did back then. He drank, he smoked, he was absent to his family while he worked hard and provided well for my granny, my dad, and my aunt. So when my dad became a teenager with my papa out of town most of the time, my dad went to New Mexico Military Institute to box in the Golden Gloves. Dad went on to college and worked his way through graduate school to become a Methodist minister. He met my mom at First Methodist Church of Stillwater, and they were married there. Then my sister was born, and then I was born, and then papa retired, and we would visit their home in Oklahoma City over Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving, I'd play with my cousins, and I would overhear and listen in on the adult conversations at the big table. But you know what I did not hear? I never heard the words, I love you, between the men in my family. A few years ago, my family was visiting my folks over the holiday, and as we were leaving to come back to Edmund, I said, hey, Dad, love you. And he said, yep. And we all laughed about it, because that was my dad's usual response. He caught himself and said, oh, I love you too, and smiled. Dad's in his 80s now. He's still learning things. But no matter how old we are or how often we get together, there is something in all of us that longs to hear the words, I love you. Thank God our faith is built on these three words from the God of the universe to every person on the planet, I love you. And we know we are loved for sure by God, not by words, but by the life of Jesus. So we begin the new sermon series, Words We Long to Hear. This week, we're going to look at the powerful words, I love you. In the weeks to come, we'll look at other phrases like, thank you, or please forgive me, or I forgive you. So I hope you'll be with us all four weeks of the series. Mother Teresa says it like this, the hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. Each and every one of us has a hunger for God. Augustine said, all of us, all our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. 
But this love, it doesn't come easily or naturally. There are things that simply get in the way of being able to say, I love you, or hear the words, I love you. I want to share a few of those with you now. Here's just five. There's lots of them, but these five sort of stick out to me uh, that get in the way of hearing I love you or saying I love you. The first is this, the constant demand of, hung, of hurry and busyness. You simply can't love in a hurry. We say that around here all the time. I hope you'll say it with me now, right? One, two, three. You can't love in a hurry. Let's try that again. You can't love in a hurry. You just can't do it. You ever try to give somebody a hug at 10 miles an hour? You'll knock them down. You just can't do it. So you can't love in a hurry. You have to slow down and look at people and say, oh, there you are. I see you. What's going on with you? That's what love does. That's the great thing about heaven. There's no rejection there. In heaven, things are at a pace where you can see one another and listen to one another and bless one another. And we can have that heaven right here on earth right now. The second thing I want to share with you is our inability to manage distractions. And over the last number of weeks, we've talked about this a lot with smartphones and turning off notifications and fasting from our phones and our screens for certain periods of time. We simply know that we really struggle to manage distractions. The third is our radical addiction to comfort and ease. Love can be difficult. Love takes time. Love takes our attention. And sometimes we just want to veg out. We just want to get in the lazy boy and kick back and take a nap or be on our phone or watch a movie or whatever we want to do. And love can be difficult. Love demands the best of us. And really, sometimes we just want to be lazy. The fourth is this, our expectation of instant change. I hear this a lot after 20 years of ministry. People have been married for a while. And they feel like they've just fallen out of love. Well, friends, love's not something you fall in and out of. It's a choice. It's an action. It's a commitment. And sometimes we think that the people around us should change more quickly. But then we have to reflect back on ourselves. And we say, well, you know, how's that going with the thing that, that I'm struggling with? Did I say to myself, oh, well, I don't like that about myself. I'm just going to change it. And three weeks later, voila. It was gone? Well, no, of course not. That's not how it works. And so if we don't expect to be judged harshly by the things we're struggling to change in our life, we need to extend the same kind of grace to those around us. This expectation of instant change absolutely blows up our ability to give and receive love. And then finally, the age-old problems of fear and pride. How many Rom-coms have you seen where somebody, they want to express their love to someone, but they're afraid. They don't know how it's going to go. Or maybe um, on a different show uh, or movie, you see two characters and it's their pride that gets in the way. They both know they need to say, I love you or I forgive you, but they won't do it. Their pride gets in the way and then they just shrivel up and die alone. Fear and pride will do that to you. And, and the scriptures are full full of wisdom that says, don't be afraid. That's one of God's primary messages to us. And the other is pride comes before fall. So try to get our fear out of the way and pride out of the way. We ask God, we get on our knees and say, God, take these away from me and, and put me right with you and re remind me that I'm loved by you. So we have these five. John Wimber kind of wraps it all up and he says it like this. 
I've become convinced that one of the most important things any of us can do as a Christian is to grow up before we grow old. And friends, certainly that has some wisdom to it. We need to grow up in the things of God before we grow old because it is our character that we take with us to heaven, our essence, who we really are. And we need to work at that diligently. So what does God say about love? What does the scriptures of God say about love? Well, first of all, we know that love is from God. It's great news. And first, the writer of 1 John says it like this, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. It originates from God. God is love um, in God's own self. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This is great news. And in our faith as Christians, God's love is revealed through Jesus. We know what love is by looking at the person and life and words of Jesus. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him in this life and the next. And we have to get this next part right. The point is not our love for God. It's, it's not about us. The point is not about our love for God, but God's love for us as shown in Jesus. This is where Christianity and religiosity go wrong. As soon as the people of God start to look at their own uh, life and go, oh, well, I'm better than this, or I'm better than them, or look how religious I am, or look how often I pray. Whenever it becomes about us and what we're doing for God, we've missed the whole point. It's absolutely about what God has done for us in Jesus on the cross. That incredible love and sacrifice, not just for those who follow him, but for even those who would crucify him. God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so loved the church people or God so loved this one particular nation. It says God so loved the world, the cosmos, even those who did not and would not love him back. God's character is love. The writer 1 John goes on. He says this, In this is love, not that we love God, no, that's to get it completely wrong, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God made a way where there was no way for us to be with them. God opened up a way for us to have perfect communion and relationship with God. So to love one another is the only authentication that we know the invisible God. So if there are people around that don't know God, how in the world are they going to get to know him or know that we know him? Because God's invisible, right? Well, the way we show love is by the way we love one another. So, beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. There's nothing we can do to earn our way to God. Grace is not about earning ever, but it does require our best efforts. So, because God loved us, because we've been given this great gift of life through Jesus, we then love one another. That's what God commands us to do in the person of Jesus. We love God because God first loved us. God is the initiator of love. God's character is love. All love comes from God and returns back to God. And the way we know that we're a part of this is by the way we treat one another. And so even before we know what's going on in our life, God is at work. In our tradition, we call that provenient grace. About seven years ago, uh, we had a wonderful family come into our life here at Acts 2, uh, the Lawrence family. 
and I want to share a little bit of their story with you now. Here they are. Yes, my name is Svetlana or Lana Lawrence, and I've been with Act Two for seven years, plus minus, not exact dates, but. And it's kind of a long story how I came here. Starts way back with my high school. So I grew up in Soviet Union, where the only religion really is the just communist party. And um, we still had a little bit of tradition. We would call it eggs on Eastern. And Eastern, we would baptize the kids, but it never came across to me that it's connected to Jesus. It's silly, but it, it didn't. Um, one day I felt this, it was overwhelming how grateful I am for what I have, how blessed I am, and this desire just to say thank you for, for where I am and what pushed me through it, what, where we are. And that was the need that I felt, and it was kind of Christmas time. My parents-in-law were in town, and um, they go to United Methodist Church in Dallas, so it was natural to come to Acts 2 for Christmas service. So I, I went with them, kind of just, just to go with them. Pastor Mark was teaching, and um, he was preaching, and, uh, and he said some things that all of a sudden made total sense to me, and it was, it was a turning point. So he's saying, God never promised that you won't have hard times. God never told you that you will not die. You know what the death rate in Edmund? It's 100%. What God promised you that he will be with you when you go through those hard times. And I'm like, that is it. When I struggled, when I was alone in this country, when I didn't have money to pay for health insurance, I had $20 in my bank account, when I trying to figure out why am I studying so hard? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make life easier. That was it. God was with me, and he protected myself and Anatoly, and he made me this, he made me to believe that tomorrow will be better. Well, now it's hard, but just, I'm with you. Just stay with us. I am with you. Stay with it. I'm so grateful for Lana and Anatoly and their life as a part of our lives. And as they learned more and more about Jesus and Anatoly and I went to camp together and uh, did the ropes courses together, uh, we began to do ministry together and to bless others. And so as even before Lana could put words to it, she experienced the love and care and very presence of God. And as she understood that more and more, she began to live out uh, and her son Anatoly as well, God's command to love other people. As God loved her and her family, now she loves and blesses others. Thank you, Lana, for sharing your story with us. That's how it works. You see, friends, the commandment that we have from God is this, that those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Well, who are our brothers and sisters? Every other human on the planet. Because God loves us, he then commands us to be like him and to love everyone he loves. And who's that? Everybody. So, what does this look like? Well, love lets others win. Really. Love doesn't have the last word. Love doesn't insist on its own way. 
Love yields. It doesn't demand, it doesn't demean, it doesn't destroy. The Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Corinth these words. You probably heard them at a wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Say this with me. It does not insist on its own way. Can you say that? Are you a person that does not insist on your own way? Love doesn't do that. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. So our founder, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he said this, Love is not only the first and great command, but all the commandments in one. Love, whether Jesus is talking about it, or the Apostle Paul is talking about it, or the founder of our denomination is talking about it, it is love of God and love of others. And the only way we know if we love God is by the way we love others. That's it. Jesus' little brother James actually puts an exclamation point on it. He says, those who say they love God and hate their neighbor, they're lying. They're just flat out liars. Now, this love, you may not feel warm fuzzies for every person that comes across your path. That, that'd be craziness. You know, if that is you, you probably ought to get checked out. But here's the thing. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is intention. Love is turning your life towards God so that you can love others, to be infilled by the presence of God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then use that power, that grace to bless the world. So what does love look like? What does it do? Well, love gives. We know this from John 3.16. God so loved the world that he, say it with me, gave his only son so that everyone who believes in Jesus may not perish but may have eternal life. This is great news, friends. This is the gospel within the gospel, that love does not condemn, love saves. God's love in Jesus came to save. And the word save there in the Greek is sozo, which is salvation, which is also healing, which is also wholeness. And in case we missed it on first reference, John 3, 17 um, says it again. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, no, but in order that the world might be saved, again, sozo, be made whole, be made right through Jesus. Steve Harper, a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, says it like this. There's no greater day in the Christian life than when we discover that salvation, this sozo that we're talking about, means wholeness. It doesn't merely mean going to heaven when we die. It means living abundantly while we are here. So the way my mentor Dallas Willard puts it, he goes, if you want to go to heaven, go now. Be a part of what God is doing right now. Because we know around here that heaven is that place and space where what God wants done is done. And you can be a part of that right now, today, right where you are. So love does what is best for the other, even when the other does not or cannot understand it. So when we love, we love out of our character. We love out of the power of God that is poured into us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do what is best for our brothers and sisters around us. I love the way Billy Graham put it. He says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. Friends, you know what your sins are. You don't need somebody else to tell you what they are. You know that. And you know what? The other people around you, they know theirs too. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. 
It is God's job and God alone to judge. And it's our job to love. It's our job to love. And what does this look like? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a story. He says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. And then we come to what I think are some of the most beautiful words in all of the scriptures. But while he was still far off. You get the picture of of the dad at the edge of the property line looking into the sunset, looking for his son, hoping that today would be the day that he would come home. While he was still far off, while he was still just a silhouette off in the distance, while he was just like a speck of dust, his dad hoping and praying and wanting to see his son again. He's filled with compassion when he sees him. And he runs and he puts his arm around him and he kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, quickly, bring out the robe, the best one, and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and say it with me, celebrate. Celebrate. That's who God is. God, when you turn your life towards God, God celebrates. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that turns their life towards God than over 99 righteous persons. That's the words of Jesus. Get the fatted calf. We're going to have steak tonight, friends. Let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to say it with me, celebrate. You see, God accepts and even celebrates those who rebel and return. Now, does God want you to rebel? No, of course not. But he knows when you're going to. And if you're a parent like I'm a parent, there might not be any more beautiful words than, Dad, I'm home. I'm home. Because that's another way of simply saying, I love you. Dallas Willard gives us this great reminder. We must understand that God does not love us without liking us through gritted teeth, as Christian love is sometimes thought to do. No, the love of God, the love of the Father, Jesus describes in this story. A perfect, compassionate, celebratory love. So, how do we say I love you as a church? How do we live this out? Well, we have three core values, and I hope you're beginning to know these and to learn these and to live these. We say we love you, I love you as a church to the world, by welcoming all. Welcoming all. We open doors to help others find Christ, we serve others to help them grow in Christ, and we trust God with the outcomes. The second thing we do is we love authentically. We love God and others 
without pretending. We don't pretend that we're better than we are or worse than we are or that you're something that you're not. We simply say, welcome, we love you because God loved us, so we love you. And we hope as we get to know one another that you will also love us and then begin to love others. That's the way it works. And then third and finally, we close every worship service with this, light of the world. We share the joy that has been shared with us. We do good things not to make a name for ourselves, but to point glory to God, because God is a God of blessing and compassion. So our action step this week is I want you to think about this and answer this in your own mind. What happens next when someone says, I love you? Well, there's this awkward silence. You see, when someone says, I love you, it demands a response. And your hope and your heart is that someone says back, I love you too. And friends, right here in this place, with the cross behind me, every time we gather in our homes or at a park or in the sanctuary, God is saying to us, I love you. That demands a response. How do we respond? I hope this week you'll respond by doing what Jesus tells us to do, and that is to feed the hungry, to bless our brothers and sisters. Next Sunday, we are going to collect food for those who are hungry. And there's a lot of hungry people in Oklahoma right now, friends, and they need our help. So I hope that you'll bring food items or that you'll give money for the pantry packs. And I know that we have a new community online right here, and some of you live in other states, other parts of the country, or around the world. And so if you can't bring food items, I hope that you will make a donation so that you can participate in blessing the hungry. And the way you do that is simply uh, prepare these things on your screen, ready-to-eat meals, uh, kid-friendly snacks, peanut butter and jelly bars, or pasta and rice, or... It basically, all that's going to cost about $10. I think it's $10.78 to be exact. And so if you donate $10, just know that you will have put together or paid for one pantry pack to bless a family in need. And so I hope you'll do that. You can go online when we get to the offering and just uh, let us know that that's what you're doing. And here's why that's important. Because these are the closing words of Jesus when he says this is how it works in the kingdom of God. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. These are the things of God. This is how God has loved us. He's cared for us, and now this is how we love and care for others. Because remember, love's not a feeling. It's an action. It's a way of life in Christ. I hope you'll join me. Hope to see you next week, uh, either online or with some food. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.